Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to wrap this up today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, Bibles are on the back table. Does anybody still need a note sheet that didn't get one earlier? Good? All right. It's Proverbs chapter 3. Hopefully you have that. And by way of reminder, because last week, I'll just be honest, you guys were very uh, unengaged in our class. So let's see if we can revive that a little bit here. So does anybody remember? We started to review. What is the definition of wisdom? Anybody remember? We're going to hit this hard every single time. What is wisdom? I hear real life situations. That is part of it. You got half of it. What was the rest of it? That's actually pretty good. That's most of it there. Yeah. So worshiping God by rightly applying his truth to real life situation. Yeah. And that's important because we don't want to lose sight of that um, because that's what distinguishes what we would maybe call worldly wisdom from biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is an act of worship. In other words, when we rightly apply God's truth to our lives, when we live in obedience to God and his promises and what he has told us, that is what we call an act of worship. It's an overflow. We don't do it so that we earn favor with God. We do so out of the abundance of gratitude to God. So everything we do in life as a Christian, what we think, what we say, what we do, is an expression of worship. So I just don't want us to ever lose sight of that because Proverbs a lot of times has been treated and taken to just be like a book of good morals And that's a mistake because it begins with the reminder that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is what drives you, even if you were in main service this morning or if you're going to be in main service when we talk about Rahab. It is the true fear of the Lord that drives you to the Lord and to relationship with him. So just don't want to lose sight of that. So um, we're going to stand and we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to pick up in verse 27 and go down to the end of the chapter this morning. So Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 27, and we'll wrap up this chapter today. Solomon writes, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. All right, go ahead and seat and let's pray. Ask for God's blessing on our time now. So God, we do thank you for the morning that you have provided. Thank you for some fun and games and some a little bit of an excitement uh, about what is on the horizon for our ministry in the weeks to come. Uh, But now I pray that you would settle our hearts and minds and help us to invest well in these next 30 minutes as we look more deeply at Solomon's wisdom that he offers here. Um, to us. We want to be people that are marked by wisdom. We know that that begins, Lord, by casting ourselves upon the mercy of your salvation. And so I'd pray for our students that 
Uh, if they have not first and foremost done that, that you would cause them even today to see their need for a Savior, to drive them to Christ Jesus. And for those, Lord, who are walking with you but uh, continue to just need your grace and your strength in this world, pray that today would offer some encouragement and hope for them, especially as it relates to their relationship with others. So bless our time now. As we study together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so you may remember uh, when we began this series a couple of months ago, that I shared with you a number of my, what I would maybe consider to be odd jobs uh, during my time in Southern California. Uh, you might remember brought up a whole collection of kitchen knives up here and we did some demonstrations with each other, right? Yep, you remember that? We were all really, we were all very safe, right? Nobody got hurt this time, so that's good. So after I aced Lego engineering and mastered kitchen knife sales out in California, I did the next most adventurous thing that you can do. I went into insurance. That was meant to be anticlimactic. It was not very exciting, right? Uh, home and auto insurance. Uh, that's right. You are looking at what I would deem to be the most successful customer service rep in the history of Daniel Clark State Farm in Valencia, California. Uh, yes, I wore I wore the red. I wore the khakis. Uh, I, was, I had to be very careful about when I would have to make runs to Target because I would have people who would come up to me at Target and say, uh, do you, can you tell me where uh, this certain item is? And then I would have to like shamefully uh, point them in the wrong direction. No, I'm just kidding. I would, I would tell them the truth, right? So we're all familiar with State Farm. Obviously, State Farm headquarters is just, you know, what, 20 miles to the east of here in Bloomington. But you don't have to work at State Farm to know their catchy little jingle. Their catchy little jingle goes, what? No, that, that is also good. But what's their, what's their catchphrase? What's their slogan? What is it? Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Which is interesting, right? Because I think State Farm gets something in that slogan. Uh, whether or not they actually live it out and whether or not it's true of them doesn't matter, but I think they actually understand something really well in that slogan. They're not a Christian company, but even they understand the importance of treating somebody like a good neighbor. Implied in that slogan is that we understand what would not constitute a good neighbor. Or said another way, we know what a bad neighbor is like. Somebody who is unreliable, untrustworthy, undependable, rude, inconsiderate, selfish, you name it. We could probably come up with a huge list of what we would consider to be a bad neighbor. And what we have before us in Proverbs 3 this morning is an evaluation tool. And perhaps we, would, we could call it even a good neighbor test. I know you guys are all excited to go back to school to have tests. This is your preschool test. Not preschool, but preschool test. And Solomon closes this chapter by shifting his attention to our relationship with other people. Asking really the question, what do your relationships with others say about your relationship with God? If you say that you fear the Lord and you walk in wisdom, how is that seen or how is that shown 
and the way that you walk with other people. And I think that when we look at this this morning, we'll see that the big idea that Solomon wants to drive home for us is that wisdom or folly will be seen in your treatment of others. Wisdom or folly will be seen in your treatment of others. Right? I don't think it's unfair to say, and we're going to see later how this connects to a bigger principle that the Bible sets forth. But one of the most tangible ways that you are able to see somebody is walking in God's ways is how they relate to others. And we're going to see how Solomon presents it here, kind of in the negative. Uh, if you look at verses 27 and 31, notice that every... Uh, Line begins with the same phrase. What does he say at the beginning of every single verse from verse 27 to 31? What are the two words? Do not. Do not. Do not. These five do not statements, they're going to kind of serve as our, our template for this morning. So we're going to look at these five do not statements, but we're also going to put them in a positive light because I don't want us to see the do nots. I also want to see that scripture always speaks of the do as well, right? So we're going to consider five characteristics of relational wisdom this morning by using these five statements. So five characteristics of relational wisdom. So let's look at verse 27 first. Verse 27, I think the first characteristic we see is that wisdom is generous and not selfish. Wisdom is generous, not selfish. And really, he, he says in verse 27 here, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Let me ask you this. Is anyone exempt from us doing good to them? That's kind of a tough question because in our minds, we want to say, the answer is no, but we know that real life is kind of tricky, isn't it? That there are some people that we want to say, no, they don't really deserve goodness from me. Uh, they have done certain stuff to me. They've harmed me. They, whatever you want to say, and they don't deserve good. But I think the general idea is that those to whom it is due includes everyone within your sphere of influence. So if you think about your life right now, your spheres of influence, that simply means the people that God has uh, chosen to most closely surround you with in your life. So you know that for you, that would probably mean your family. And yes, that includes your siblings, right? For those of you who have siblings. It includes your classmates it includes your teammates it includes for those of you who maybe have a summer job here your co-workers um, the hebrew word here when it says for good it speaks to anything that is beneficial that includes uh, material things but it also includes things just as simply as the words that you speak to them or the actions the way that you uh, present yourself to them uh, one of our camp speakers, again, Rick Holland, he says it this way. As a Christian, you are now a shovel that God uses to throw grace on other people, pitching grace in every direction. That phrase there of pitching grace in every direction reminds me of the project that I've kind of been working on in very slow stages throughout the summer. If you remember, I shared back in May that we had a tragedy happen at our household, if you remember uh, we said goodbye to our pool, um, or really our pool, I think, said goodbye to us first. It wasn't, we didn't part with it. It parted with us. Uh, it split, and we had to, to completely wreck it down all the way down to this giant 
pit that remained in our yard. So what is there to do with a pit but fill it with lots and lots of dirt? We had three truckloads of dirt come in and just dumped right into this hole. But the problem is when dirt is dumped, uh, it's, the job is not done, right? Because you basically just have mounds of dirt, but the whole objective is then you have to level out the dirt. You have to get it spread into the appropriate spots. And so I don't know how many hours was spent out there, but I would be out there on the mounds of dirt just for hours shoveling and pitching it in every single direction because every spot needed to be filled with dirt. And now I'm glad to say that we have this nice even spot back there that is filled with a bunch of weeds. That's the next phase of the project. But the point is there, right? You as a Christian, the Lord is causing you and calling you to do something similar with your life, that you as a shovel of God's grace, or as some people say, as an instrument in the hands of God, are now called to show grace to all those within your sphere of influence. And so I ask you this morning, how has God maybe put you in a spot where you can showcase God to other people? And once you identify those spots, identify the people specifically. And then once you identify those people, consider what it means and what it looks like for you to show God's grace to those people, even if they don't always deserve it, right? After all, how gracious was God to us when we didn't deserve it? So ask yourselves, are you quick to show good to others, or are you quick to withhold good from other people? That's the first sign of wisdom in our relationships. But the second characteristic is that wisdom is compassionate, not inconsiderate. It is compassionate, not inconsiderate. We see that in verse 28 where he says, Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you in the moment. We could say verse 27 was about the action of what God wants you to do. Verse 28 is about the attitude that drives that action. The idea here is that you are a person marked by sympathy, that you are sensitive to the needs of others. Guys, you like that word, right? Being sensitive. Girls are a little bit more known for being sensitive most of the time. You'd be ruthless too, but a little bit more naturally. But guys, we think to ourselves, sensitive, that's not a very masculine characteristic. I don't want to be known as sensitive. Well, guess what? God's people are actually known as compassionate. If you don't think that that's important, consider that that was one of the trademark characteristics of Jesus. How often is Jesus known as a compassionate individual? Matthew 9, 36, he felt compassion on people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw what they lacked and he sympathized with that. He, he, he looked to how he could maybe attend to that need. You see, wisdom is quick. Listen to this. Wisdom is quick to look out for other people. It is not rude, it is not selfish, it is not inconsiderate. And so what do your relationships with others say about this very reality? How are you maybe looking out for your classmates or your teammates? I get that you may not be the most outgoing person in your class. I get you might not be the most uh, vocal on your athletic team or your drama club or your music group, whatever it may be. But that doesn't exempt you from ways that you can still show good and consideration to others around you. Or let me ask another one that's going to rub you maybe the wrong way this morning. 
What does it look like to help out your little sibling or your older sibling who annoys you, who maybe you have some disagreements with, who you have to exist under the same household and the same roof with all the time? What does it look like to be considerate to them, to show deference to them, to show grace to them? Uh, sometimes we are very quick to make excuses, right, that other people deserve it, but maybe not some of these other folks. The idea of this verse is that you don't make excuses for being selfish, that you're too young, you're too tired, you're too busy, but you're always finding what is in your means to actually do so to help other people in the moment. Thirdly, wisdom is trusting, not suspicious. Verse 29 is kind of an interesting verse. He says, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Uh, Plan, uh, that word there is really the word for devise, which often is translated uh, as the word plow. We know about plowing in our agricultural society around here, plowing fields. And it shows that if we're not careful, we can allow ill will and bitter thoughts to plow through our relationships with other people. I think you can all understand this. Uh, this verse kind of sounds devious on the surface, right? You, I think all of us would be quick to look at this verse when it says, do not plan evil against your neighbor to say, I don't do that. I'm not like some evil mastermind like you see in movies that are behind closed doors planning evil stuff against people in my school or against my family. Like, that's not me. But we have to remember that these things also just, they don't just speak to our actions, they speak to our attitudes. They speak to our hearts. This is where we see maybe something in someone else that we don't like or we don't trust. That person maybe rubs us the wrong way and we begin to harbor bitter thoughts against that person. Again, you maybe say, I don't devise harm against that person, but have you ever hated someone in your heart? Have you ever despised somebody in your heart? Well, Jesus would say later on in, in Matthew, well, that's, that's, that's like murder. Oh, it sounds harsh and that sounds extreme. That doesn't change the fact because in some way you're saying, man, my life would be better if they were not around. Well, the obvious extreme of that would be, well, it's they were killed if they were removed from this life then yeah they would not be in your life anymore and that's where jesus draws this kind of equation saying listen yeah you may not be physically wanting to remove this from this world but mentally you're doing that i don't think any relationship is immune from this type of thinking and notice here this is really all about trust right do not play an evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you let me ask you this are you a trustworthy person And I don't mean that just in the sense of, are you dependable, right? That people can count on you. Do your closest friends trust that you have their best interests in mind? That you're looking out for them, that you are being uh, compassionate and not inconsiderate? Can you respond with kindness even while the person who has maybe done you wrong, right? Let's just face it, you all are have friend groups or people in your life who have done you wrong and yet they still exist beside you in a trusting relationship for the most part can you live with them in kindness and show them love and grace that from the world's perspective they may not deserve 
but you're still willing to extend their way. Most of you know that, uh, or many of you maybe know that I grew up in Springfield, and Springfield is known for Abraham Lincoln. I love Abraham Lincoln. I know it. It's that I'm homeboy at uh, at heart there, but the story of Lincoln is so fascinating on a lot of levels. If you ever want to like learn a lot about Lincoln, all you gotta do is read the book uh, Team of Rivals. Or if you're like me, you listen to books. Um, so all you have to do is listen to that. It'll only take you 36 hours to do so, but it's well worth your time when you find 36 hours to do so. But one of the very unique things about Lincoln is the way that he showed grace, forgiveness, and compassion to people that everybody else would have disregarded. Uh, one of his biggest political rivals, and one of the guys who was against him in the 1960 president, or 1960, 1860 presidential election, was a guy by the name of Salmon Chase. Salmon Chase. Uh, was governor of South Carolina. He uh, was ruthless in his attacks and his criticisms against Lincoln. And as we all know, the person who ended up winning the presidential election was Lincoln. And whenever a president or whenever someone is inducted to be president, their role then is to assemble a cabinet, which is the closest team of advisors that oversee different aspects of the country. Well, one of the most important, and we would say arguably influential roles to the president is the role of Secretary of State. And when it came time for Lincoln to choose someone to fill that role, he did not look to his best buddies. He did not look to the people who liked him most. He said, I want Salmon Chase to fill that role. And in the eyes of the world, that looks stupid, right? Why would you have a guy who clearly does not like you, who has spoken against you, fill such a critical and influential role in your cabinet? And Lincoln would go on to tell people and describe to them that it's not about having the most liked person next to him. It was about having the right person next to him. You see, even though they were political rivals outside of this. Lincoln is saying, I am bringing you into my sphere and I am going to trust you because I believe that you are the best person to do this role. And guess what? He was an amazing Secretary of State. And later, after Lincoln died, Chase said that Lincoln was arguably the greatest president the country had ever seen and one of the greatest allies that somebody could ever have. Right? Like That speaks immensely to what it looks like To have trust with people around you, even when they've harmed you, even when they've done you wrong, that you can still show kindness and deference to them and not be constantly suspicious. Because it would have been easy for Lincoln to do that, right? It would have been very easy to. Even when people thought that Chase was not working in his favor, he still trusted him. So, relational wisdom is generous, not selfish. It is compassionate, not inconsiderate. It is trusting, not... Suspicious, And then fourthly, wisdom is peaceful, not resentful. Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Uh, This points to the type of person who is quick to argue or raise fault in other people. Uh, Commentators apply this to our current sue-happy culture. 
Uh, when I say sue happy, I'm not talking about people named sue, but I'm saying like lawsuits. Because we kind of live in a culture that's very quick to be contentious. I don't know if you've noticed that, but we live in a very uh, argumentative society that's quick to find fault and see how we can benefit from those faults. If you don't believe me, you can Google all kinds of ridiculous lawsuits that have happened uh, in the name of, of justice. Right. It was back in the 90s and a woman sued McDonald's because uh, she spilt coffee on herself and that coffee gave her burns. And well, co co the coffee was hot. So therefore, it was McDonald's fault. And she sued for uh, I think it was like two million dollars or something like that. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Amazing. Do you ever remember the show Fear Factor back in the day? Probably just the adults in this room. Maybe a couple of the younger ones. But there was a show today called Fear Factor where they would get people to compete in really scary like things that people would have phobias of. Or, uh, but one of them, uh, <laughs> a viewer of the show sued the, the show because one of the episodes was too disturbing and disgusting for them. Uh, I think it was a, an episode where the, the contestants had to eat like uh, dead rats or something like that. I know it sounds really gross. It was a really cool show though. But... He was so grossed out by it, he like threw up, and I think he like got lightheaded. He ran into the, like, wanted to go to his room, and like he hit his head on the door frame as he went through. I don't know if the throw up happened afterwards, as if he had like a concussion from hitting his head on the wall, or if he threw up first and then ran to the wall. It's kind of funny to me, but he did not win that one uh, by any means. Google Maps. A lady sued Google Maps because she was advised to take a particular route walking that ended up taking her along a freeway where she eventually got hit by a car. And so she sued both Google Maps and the person of the driving the car because it didn't take her the safest route, even though Google Maps indicated this would not be a safe route. Plus, common sense would tell you not to do that. And then probably the best one here, a guy by the name of Christopher Roller. Have any of you heard Christopher Roller before? I'm going to venture not. I've never heard of him. Christopher Roller, who sued the magician David Copperfield. Probably have heard of David Copperfield, magician. He sued David Copperfield, get this, for stealing his own godly powers to be able to perform magic. Sued him for $50 million. I will assure you he did not win that case. <laughs> and these stories are good for a laugh, all right? But... They also show the world that we live in. Uh, one commentator puts it this way. He says, such are the battle cries of people too weak to personally resolve their interpersonal conflicts. Such taunts reveal not wisdom, but the folly of selfishness. And again, all this can sound very out there, but did you listen closely to that quote there? Wisdom is about resolving interpersonal conflicts not being quick to find fault in other people. And I'm guessing that there are people in your life who you resent, even though they have legitimately done you no wrong. Maybe it's because they're the person in school that gets all the attention. Maybe they're the, the guy or the girl who's got all the good looks or all the followers or all the athletic ability, or they have this dynamic personality that people are just drawn to. There's also the contentious attitude that seeks to argue with those who mean you no harm as well. I mean, let's just be real for a moment. This maybe speaks most intimately to you with your parents. 
Your parents who truly, legitimately love you, care for you, are looking out for your best interests, and yet you have a relationship with them that is often contentious for no real good reason. So ask yourself today, do you have a contentious spirit? Spirit, Are you quick to anger and posture yourself against other people? Or are you, as we learned a few weeks ago at Summer Study, a peacemaker? Are you quick to restore order and to forgive where necessary? What is the mark of your life? Are you quick to cancel out other people? If they did you wrong, you're leaving. Romans 12, 18 reminds us that if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Not just the people you like, but with all. And fifth and finally, wisdom is content, not envious. Wisdom is content, not envious. Look at verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. The call here is not to be jealous of the wicked, particularly those here who are given to anger and to violence. And again, you're probably quick to say, I am so far from violence, right? I am so far from this type of person. But this is where it is good, again, to evaluate your heart, especially as it relates to your relationship with non-Christians. Do you see the way that they are enjoying their lives now engaging in you fill in the blank? Right? For each of you, that probably looks a little bit different. You look at people in your school or maybe in your family or maybe on your, your sports team or whatever it may be. You look at them and you're like, man, what they're doing, even though I know it's wrong, there's a part of me that, that, that looks good. And it seems fun and I, it, it seems attractive to me. And I'm kind of borderline a little bit jealous. And if you're honest, sometimes it feels like you're missing out. You're jealous because it looks like they are having all the fun, and quite honestly, sin seems to be winning. And it can seem like your Christianity is more of a burden and a buzzkill than it is a blessing. I think this calls for us to wrestle with the following question. Are you content with God? Are you content in your relationship with God? And I would say even following from that then also because of the sphere of influences, are you also surrounding yourself with the right people who are pointing you back to your contentment in God and not the things of this world? Do you see God in particular here? Do you see Christ as fully satisfying to you? And I think this final point is worth considering a bit further. In fact, Solomon recognizes that his son, remember his son was the original audience that he was writing this to, may be asking the question, why? Why not be envious of such people? Why not choose those ways? And Solomon's answer is actually given in verses 32 through 35. We haven't talked about those yet. And they remind us to maintain a big picture perspective. Sure, these folks may be enjoying their choices now, but that will not always be the case. So Solomon gives his son four reasons why he should not envy the wicked. And I'd like to present them to you in the form of a question, but not just any question. A question that has also been a game that we've enjoyed in recent years. The game, would you rather? Would you rather? Anybody familiar with would you rather around here? It's a game we played at Junior High Retreat a few weeks ago, right? We had some fun with that. 
Would you rather is a fun game, right? Because it's all just about preference. Put yourself in some unique situations, either good or bad, and you choose which one, right? Let's do a few. Let's do a few practice ones real quick. Okay, I'm going to present a few would you rathers to you this morning, right? So I'll give you the, I'll give you the options, both of them first, and we'll see which one you would choose. Would you rather listen to an annoying laugh for one full day or be tickled nonstop for a full hour? So 24 hours of listening to the most obnoxious laugh you've ever heard of or one hour enduring nonstop tickling. Who would choose the first one? Laugh, uh, listening to the most annoying laugh? Second one, tickling. Okay, all right, interesting. Some of you are not very ticklish, I'm guessing, so. If for the rest of your life you had to listen to a playlist that only consisted of 10 songs on repeat or watch five movies on repeat, which would you choose? For the rest of your life, 10 of the same songs or five of the same movies? All right, who would choose the songs? Who would choose the movies? Ah, that was about a 50-50 split. That was pretty close. All right. I'm sure you all have much better would-you-rathers. I just, this is what happens when I look those up at 10 o'clock at night. So, um, so this is going to be the easiest game of would you rather that you've ever played these next four questions i would like to hope are going to be the easiest to answer but not necessarily the easiest to implement and so if we look at verses 32 to 35 let me ask you this would you rather be hated or loved by god would you rather be hated or loved by god verse 32 for the devious person is an abomination to the lord but the upright are in his confidence Abomination, by the way, that word, I don't know about you, but just it sounds bad to say. Like, you almost sound wicked saying abomination. It's, it just sounds like an evil word. And it is perhaps the strongest word to express God's hatred of the wicked. Remember, God is a just God, and he does hate things that are evil. And it says here that his anger is directed towards those who are devious. In their relationships. But those who are upright are in his confidence. In other words, they are like being in someone's inner circle. They are loved. They are cared for. They have no reason to fear. It's quite the contrast, isn't it? Or how about this? Would you rather be cursed by God or blessed by God? Verse 33, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Blessing and cursing are words that obviously we think of as it relates to the future and eternity. But I believe that there are aspects of that that can be very true for your earthly life right now. Your relationship with other people. You will see blessing or cursing come out of those things. In fact, we learned was it last week? Yeah, last week from Joshua chapter 1 what it looks like to prosper in God's ways. And that reminds us of Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, not chapter 1, but Psalm 1 where it says the blessed is the man who does not walk in the path of sinners or stand in uh, or walk in the way of sinners or stand in the path of uh, the uh, go figure I'm butchering it on the spot here but the idea here is the one who prospers is one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and that has implications for now in your daily life so would you rather be cursed or blessed by God again hope the answer would be obvious but we recognize that that's much harder to implement this one, I think, will stir you a little bit here. But would you rather be rejected or accepted by God? 
Verse 34, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. These scorners here are set in opposition to the humble. And I think the truth is, as we think about that word accepted, I know teenagers enough at this point to know that you long to be accepted. You long to be accepted. And you might not say it that way, but I, I know what it is to be in your shoes, where you want the approval of your parents. You want the approval of your peers, of your teammates, of your community. Nobody naturally longs to be hated or despised. The question is, whose acceptance do you care most about? At the end of the day, if there was one person who could approve and accept you, who would that person be? The scripture said that what matters to us most is that we are accepted, not by the world, but by God. And so even it's worth asking a question, are you willing to even be rejected by others in this world if it means being accepted by God? And then finally this morning, would you rather be humiliated or honored by God? Verse 35, the wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This points to the final return on your investment, right? When Solomon is saying, you know, don't do these things, and he's giving him some eternal perspective to look into, the question is, what will your investment return? This is the difference between the wise and the fool. The wise, their inheritance is honor, privilege, blessing, glory, but fools get disgrace. They may get all the honor and all the glory and the things that they want in this life, but it has no return on investment in the next. And so the final thought I want you to think about this morning, I kind of hinted at this at the very beginning, is that this whole passage is summed up in the principle that Jesus teaches in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Where someone comes to him and he asks him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And you remember what Jesus says to him. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it, which is to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love neighbor, go hand in hand. And so I ask you again as we close today, what does your relationship with others say about your relationship with God? Because you cannot separate the two. You cannot say, I love God, and yet you have broken, strained, hard relationships with people everywhere else. You cannot say that you love God, but you really just don't love people. I'm not a people person. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Father, thank you for today and thank you for the attention of our students this morning. I pray that this has been insightful and been a blessing to them as we've studied. And I pray that it would bring conviction where necessary, but also, Lord, stir their hearts to maybe see where uh, this reveals maybe a gap or a void in their relationship, not just with others, but maybe with you. Um, I know that you would be honored and glorified to see repentance and change brought to the hearts of our students. I pray that this ministry would be marked by students who are quick to forgive, who are peaceful, who are trusting, compassionate, graceful, merciful. Lord, all of these things, help that to be true of us, Lord, because we know that our relational wholeness 
brings you glory and honor. And that's what we want to do as we worship you, Lord, through wisdom. So please grant that to us this week and the days ahead. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.